Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome back to Thread, episode 125. Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Thread is a podcast for leaders and those who want to improve the level of their influence on other people. And we are going to go verse by verse in God's Word and look for leadership lessons. You know, there's a different way that you see the Bible when you're when you approach the Bible to say, you know, uh, God minister to me, please today. That's one way. And then when you enter the the scriptures to say, Lord, help me influence other people. Help me to be a better leader and a, a stronger voice for you in my generation. And you go to that same verse of scripture. It ministers to you for sure, but it ministers to you because you see different things. That's the beauty of God's Word. It's like a diamond. It has so many different facets. And today we're going to look at a really, really central, I think this is so crucial, and I think you're going to, you're going to really enjoy today's thread. It is about the importance of walking in the Spirit, walking with the Holy Spirit, being guided by the Holy Spirit, and not just turning uh, our, our discipleship into some rational uh, thought thing or uh, a, an educational journey where I'm reading book after book and I'm hearing and I'm listening, but that we understand that we're called by God to be sons and daughters of God and that we're invited into a new world order and that we can live by the Spirit and that actually it's what the new birth is. The Holy Spirit of God comes and moves inside of us. You know, the Bible tells us to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to build ourselves up in the Spirit. And Paul goes as far to say in Romans eight fourteen, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And so, you know, God wants us to live in unbroken connection with him through the Holy Spirit. And so today's thread is about um, being led by the Spirit, but in a special kind of way, uh, as in receiving personal predictive words of prophecy from other people, not just uh, uh, inside us, you know, having our own perception of of God's voice and God's direction, but having people you know, walk up to us, turn to us and say, I believe I have a word from the Lord to you. And, uh, you know, the opportunity to have that happen to us in our lives, it can be a very special moment of confirmation and encouragement uh, if we welcome the experience and if we move among people who are um, attempting also to walk in the spirit and to hear from God. So these are gifts. This is kind of a sad part of the modern church. You know, we've turned so much of Christianity into this big Sunday show, and it's all about this awesome music and this dynamic speaker, and we just sit and stare forward, and we're losing the root of Christianity, which is a spirit movement Pentecostalism. And, um, you know, early, well, we're in Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 14, and this gives a really clear picture of how much early Christian people consciously walked in the Spirit. 
you know, early Christianity was a Pentecostal spirit movement, and it is also the type of Christianity that is today spreading throughout China, Latin America, and Africa. And if we're, you know, in countries where Christianity is kind of on the the waning and the the ebbing out and the dying, it's it's because of this we've lost this this spirit root, this dynamism of the Holy Ghost moving among us, guiding and directing us, and we've turned it into all kinds of other things, you know, in Europe uh, into rationalism and logical thought and battles to the death over doctrine, and uh, in America to this big entertainment industry thing that's gotten into the church. So. I just, I'm looking forward today to the chance to get back into the scripture and see how they lived. I mean, these are, this is a first generation of Christianity, and they didn't have Bible schools, and they didn't have printing presses, and nobody had any form of Christian media to read uh, or pass around. They had, you know, they were, later they would come to have handwritten uh, letters uh, as Paul would send letters, and then finally the Gospels were written. But, you know, these things were slow coming, and most people couldn't read, uh, or especially even have the thought that they could possess their own scriptures, but they were able to walk with the Holy Spirit. And so they did, and that's what they depended on. Okay, so let's give a little background to this passage. Paul uh, has left Ephesus, the big ministry there, he is now turning his face to Jerusalem. He wants to go to Rome. That's his goal. I want to go to Rome. But first he wants to go to Jerusalem, get the blessing of everybody there, gather fresh support, gather a team, get, get the energy pointed toward the Roman Empire, and then he wants to push into Rome. That's his goal. That's what's driving him. And as he's on his way home from the mission field, He's headed home. He's from Jerusalem. He's headed back to Jerusalem. Uh, I mean, he was, he was born in Tarsus, but when we meet him, he is, um, he's living in, in Jerusalem. He's part of that inner circle of Judaism. And he's headed home, and he lands with his party in a city called Tyre on the coast. And right away, we see the Holy Spirit at work. In verse 4, it says, There we found disciples. How do you find a small Christian house church in a city that isn't your city? Well, you do it by the Holy Spirit. He guides you. They didn't give the back story, and I wish they had told how they found disciples. You know, I remember one day, this has happened to me so many times, and I'm sure it has also happened to you, but I can remember sitting in a, uh, I was actually standing, I was in a hotel lobby in London, it's kind of a smaller hotel, and this this lady walked up to me, and I forget how we even started talking, but she was just a little bit older than me. I put her about five years older, and we within, I mean like within one minute, we got into this conversation about the, um, the fleetingness of moments when the veil gets peeled back and you are really in God's presence. You know, I don't just mean times of singing and times of worship. I mean times when it works and all of a sudden, and it's not necessarily that it happens in the middle of church, although it, it happens there a lot because you were focused on it happening there, but 
you know, it has happened to me all kinds of places. And suddenly I just realize I'm on holy ground and the Father is there and the Holy Spirit is present. And it's like the world recedes and I am face to face with God and I want it to go on forever. And then it's gone just like that. And it's like trying to hold on to vapor. You know, I can't make it last and it's gone and I couldn't, I can't make it happen. But it's like somehow I have moved between the realms and I am now on the other side and I'm really in the spirit and I'm really connected to my father. And then it's over and I long for that. Now, that's a pretty serious, <laughs> pretty uh, serious personal conversation. But we were there in like one, mi- uh, one minute and we probably talked about it for, I don't know, five minutes. I don't think it was more than five minutes. It was just like an angel out of heaven. I just turned around. She was there and within. She said something, and I just knew she knows God the way you know God. And she seeks God the way you seek God. And we just went straight to what we were both thinking that day. And then we said goodbye. I've never seen her again. I can't, even, you know, I don't even remember what she looked like. But it was the Holy Spirit leading me. You know, these spirit led connections are so important in our lives. And Paul knew to follow them so much so that when he meets these people, he stops his trip. And for seven days, he remains right there with these new friends of him, of his. Uh, I have a friend that calls this emergent living. It means like instead of having your life with with goals way out ahead of you, uh, as far as very specific outcomes, and you're trying to force your life to go to that place one step at a time, that's kind of, you know, entrepreneurial thinking, Uh, she says um, that she believes that we ought to live emergently. And by that, she means you have a general goal of where you want to be as a person, the kind of person you want to be. And now you, with great faith in God, follow the breadcrumbs. And you just believe that the Lord will now guide you day by day, step by step. But you're watching for the, the emerging life. And in Paul's case, he meets these disciples and he says, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. He stops for a week. As they worship and as they spend time, uh, they give him a word of prophecy. Personal words of predictive prophecy are a common occurrence in Christian fellowships where everybody is seeking to be connected to the Holy Spirit and to each other. And these brothers and sisters that he just met at Tyre somehow felt the future. They could feel what was coming to him. And they felt that Jerusalem leads him to personal danger. And they told Paul about it. And verse 5 says he listened to them, but he continued on in his path. And so these people went to the ship with him, with their wives and their children. It was a big family, you know, it's a house church. And they knelt down on the sand and they prayed for him as he pushed off for his next stop. So this moves us on. We get into verse 8 and verse 9. And Paul continues on his journey. He gets to a city called Caesarea. And in Caesarea, they stay in the house of Philip the Evangelist. And Philip has four daughters. And these daughters prophesy. Now, let me get off track just a little bit. Um, I don't want to say anything about women in leadership in the church. I mean, we can talk about that again, but that's not really what this text is about. 
But I do want to say something about the particular sensitivity of women to spiritual voices of all kinds. And I mean, I'm, I can't say that this is a universal trait of all women, but, you know, when you look through history, we see both, I guess what we could call negative and positive examples of women's sensitivity to the spirit world and to spiritual voices of all kinds. Uh, for example, the story of women opens up with Eve, and she is somehow more approachable than Adam by the serpent. He senses uh, an openness with her. He goes for Eve. Uh, women in history have always been prominent as oracles, fortune tellers, things like that. So, I mean, that's on the one side. On the other side, the positive side, there's a special openness in women to the Holy Spirit. And women are often mentioned in the Bible in connection with prophecy, uh, certainly not exclusively. It's not like, oh, well, it's women that have the spirit connection and men are the working people. That is not what I'm saying. But I'm just noting what sticks out to me. Uh, and spent, you know, with all these battles about women in ministry, one thing you can't argue about is women in the gifts of the Spirit because, number one, that's for God to do, and number two, go back to the roots of early Christianity. You know, here are um, Philip's four daughters ministering in prophecy freely in early New Testament churches, and their ministry was accepted by the church. You know, Paul, who gets beat up a lot uh, about things he writes concerning women, but it's Paul who directs in 1 Corinthians eleven five that women may certainly prophesy. And he lists in other places women who are his fellow laborers. But Paul does say about women that they, like everyone else in the body of Christ, male and female, because he says that also, must be submitted to authority. They must be covered in some way. You know, there were women in the upper room who received the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Mary, before that even, uh, covers Jesus in perfume in response to the Holy Spirit leading her to prepare him for his burial. She didn't know what all she was doing. She didn't necessarily even know why she was doing it. Just she felt love and she felt moved to spend a year's wages, you know, that bottle of perfume and break it so it couldn't be, you know, sparingly used, but just snap it in half and pour it all out. And Jesus said, oh, this is about my burial. So she was being led in a special way, and she's honored for that. It's Peter in Acts 1.8 that says, Pentecost is the realization of Old Testament prophecy that your daughters and maidservants will now share equally anointing, fullness, the ministry of the Holy Spirit with the men, that they'll be effective in their anointing and their witnessing for the Lord and in being used by God to spread his gospel throughout the world. So that, that women are agents of God for personal words of prophecy, to receive revelations, to feel and sense the move of the Holy Spirit, and that in, in receiving these things, they have the, uh, the place in the body of Christ to share the things that they are receiving, this was never challenged in the early church. 
Um, and so we, you know, we need to honor the work of God where God is working. And so I just wanted to point that out uh, because it's, it's obvious in the, te- in the text. Okay, so now let's get back to Acts chapter 21, and we're on verse 10. And now Agabus, he's a noted prophet, a man of God, and he travels all the way from Judea to intercept Paul. Now, how he knew where Paul would be, I don't know, because he's come a long way without any form of, um, of being told, because you know, Paul is not, he doesn't have a planned itinerary. He is staying, he stays seven days out of the blue, you know, with these people he just met, and he's staying now many days with Philip, I mean, yeah, with Philip, and so, but Agabus is led by the Lord too, and he shows up at the door, and he has come to see Paul. And the group lingers in fellowship together for many days. And then comes verse 11, when Agabus also gives his word of personal prophecy. And he does it in a very um, interesting way. It's a symbolic way. In verse 11, instead of just saying, Brother, I have a word I feel from the Lord, Agabus takes... Paul's belt, and he ties Paul's hands up with it. You know, this is so, uh, our first church that we ever pastored was Jamaican, and this is such a, um, I have so many memories, you know, of uh, symbolic ways of prophecy, where it wasn't words said, it was a thing done, and everybody watching the thing being done knew what it meant. Uh, and it sticks in your head. And you know, this is also has a long Old Testament history of symbolic things being done. Now, just to make sure it's clear, at the end of it, Agabus says, thus says the Holy Spirit. Uh, and in verse 11, he says, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And then everybody starts pleading with him, in verse 12, it says, we all, which means Luke 2, joined in the voices, and they were pleading with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Um, personal prophecy is such a precious gift. And there are times that someone has turned to me and said something, and it was incredibly encouraging. And I, I thank God for sending that person. And I also thank that person for having the courage to not worry if they looked weird to me and not, you know, to not let those things keep them from their gift. Uh, it's a beautiful gift, but unfortunately, it's also an abused gift. Uh, the prophets, and I just made quote marks in the air, uh, prophets get controlling sometimes and they get puffed up, always telling people what to do and what not to do, you know, because some people, I don't know. I don't even want to give them credit for saying that they're really doing the gift. I just want to say they see people doing the gift and they want to be one of those people. So they start imitating what they've seen others do, but they don't have the depth and character of spirit to handle a ministry like this. And some people get all cultish about it. And uh, either the, the one giving all the words gets controlling and dominating and manipulating and the ones being controlled start being these indecisive little robots that can't decide what to do and need a middleman before they can make any decision in life. 
and they're always having to, oh, I got to get a word, I need a word, I need a word, and then famous people rise up as almost like fortune tellers that you can go to. So I don't want any of that. You know, I am full-on Pentecostal. I speak in tongues. I believe in all this stuff. But I'm also not a crazy person, and I don't want crazy... I don't want crazy Pentecostalism because I've seen that too and it doesn't lead anywhere good. It just messes things up and then nobody wants the gifts to function and that's a, and then we've lost everything. And we need these gifts. I mean, I need these gifts. I'm in a place right now, I would love a word from God, but it's got to be a word from God. Uh, but I would just crave that and covet it. Um, Jack Hayford's got really good um, background even on this text. I've got a great Bible, and I'll, I'll recommend you, you this one to you. It is the, let me turn it over, Spirit-Filled Life Study Bible. And he's just got the most awesome notes uh, in the margins. It's about things related to Pentecostal theology, and he just lifts up pointers. So let me just give you his five points that he gives about this passage and personal words of prophecy. Number one, he says, the word will usually not be new to the recipient. You know, when, when he says that, Paul, your hands are going to be bound, you're going to be in trouble in Jerusalem, this is not news to Paul. Uh, in, the, in the chapters of the book of Acts, Paul has already been thinking about this. It's not the first time he's heard it either. It's in his mind, and he keeps getting warned by God, and this is a, they're more like confirmations to us than for somebody to walk up to you and say, Mary Ramona, thus says the Lord, Mary Ramona, uh, or break up with Ramona. Um, it's the word that you've been thinking about anyway, and it's a way for God to confirm that your, your thinking is on track or, or not. Uh, second thing, the character of the person bringing the word ought to be weighed. You know, Agabus had authority and credibility not because... He gives awesome words and he ties up people's hands when he comes to speak. You know, he does these symbolic things. This is great. Let's get Agabus in here on Sunday. The people will love him. You know, that's not what was going on here. Agabus had a daily Christian life and character of a man of God. He had a long walk with the Lord and he was a stable man. So when Agabus told you something in the spirit, you listened to him because you knew he was hearing from God. Now, this leads to the third point, which is really important, and that is prophecy does not control us. You know, Paul had a mind, and Paul had a sense of God's will, and he did not change his course because of this word or all the other words or because of the cries of other people. The word isn't sent to control us. We are free agents. We answer to God for how we use our will and follow him. And the reason we can't let words control us is, number four, all prophecy is, as Paul said, in part. There's a wider picture here. And yes, it's absolutely accurate, and all these people are giving uh, faithful witness to an image that they are seeing and to things they are feeling in the Holy Spirit about the future, because God lives in the future, the present, the past. He lives in eternity. He's not stuck in a linear world like we are. Uh, and so the people are feeling that Paul is headed for trouble in Jerusalem, and it's true he's headed for trouble, but he's also headed 
for the opportunity to speak and witness to kings and governors and in the end to the emperor of Rome himself and to lead many, many people in Rome to the Lord even under arrest. And we know, you know, the future of Paul, it really does turn. When he hits Jerusalem, his life story completely spins. It goes nowhere like he has ever been before. And Paul just receives it that there's a bigger picture in play. I don't know where it all leads, but my heart is to go to uh, Rome, and God is leading me to go to Rome, and he's leading me to go to Jerusalem, and I have to go. And I'll be unfaithful to God if I don't go. And I'm willing, Paul tells them, I am willing to go through the trouble. You know, if this thing leads me to trouble, I am willing to go to trouble. And if it leads me to death, I am willing to die. But I have to go to Jerusalem because I feel compelled to go to Jerusalem. So the prophecy is true, but the prophecy is just in part. It's just a part of the picture. And so that leads to the fifth thing that Jack Hayford says, and that is that we should ponder such words like Mary, but hasty action in response is not required. So if someone gives you a personal word of prophecy, thank them for it and put it in your heart and consider it, but then wait on God. Uh, And if that person, upon giving you a word, stands there expectantly now waiting for you to make the decision they just told you to make, I would just take two steps back because the prophet is not supposed to take over your will or take over your, um, your life. It's your life. You have to answer to God for it. And those words that are brought to us by God's people will be so encouraging. They will give us direction at the right moment. And usually they are words, you know, if you look through Scripture, most of the time when God gives somebody a word, a lot of times the word is um, don't be afraid, you know, go for it. Uh, don't, don't let your circumstances freeze you and, and stick you in this moment. You've got to get through this. You're going to have to face this challenge and move through it and move on the other side. Sometimes those words are words of correction, but when they come to correct, the person being corrected, I mean, they know David has been without God for a year. You know, when Nathan walks up and gives him that you are the man speech, uh, David has been, he has sinned, He's committed adultery. He's committed murder. He is uh, not in fellowship with God, and he's had a year of mourning and grieving the loss of every beautiful thing in his life. And Nathan walks up and says, you are the man. You have done this to God. David breaks immediately because it's not a fresh word. It's not a shock to him. It's not, you know, a microscopic inspection of his his, uh, perceived sinfulness. It's what David knows, and he is so glad to come clean. He, he's, the chance to come clean is so wonderful to him. He wants it. Um, and, you know, God gives us the word we need. So let's honor the Lord. Let's honor his, his gift of prophecy. And you know what? Be open also. There may be somebody that God wants you to encourage today with a word that he gives you, but we got to live in the Spirit, and we got to make that time for God and keep ourselves in an attitude of worship and in the experience of worship so we can pierce that veil and receive the messages of the Holy Spirit. I hope you got a lot out of Thread today. I am really encouraged by it myself. Uh, If you want to talk to me, you can send me an email anytime, chuck at quinley.com. 
And if you haven't checked it out, please go to medialightonline.com. We're building a network of people who are serious about God and who want to be new generation messengers for Him. And we're going to talk about things related to uh, character, teachings of Jesus, personal life management, how to do ministry, and how to use media effectively as a vehicle to spread the gospel. So uh, check it out, medialightonline.com. You'll also find the Thread Podcast there as well as quinley.com, and you can subscribe to it on Stitcher or on iTunes. Just look up Thread with Chuck Quinley and check it out there. That's all till next time. Expect God to use you. I'll see you next time on Thread.